thanks for tuning in to this week's message on the Antioch Indy Podcast. We're a church that exists to preach the gospel of the kingdom and to make others great. We hope you encounter Jesus today while you listen to this message. Have an amazing day. Well, oh, awesome. I'm so excited to be talking to you all this morning. Worship was so good. Was worship so good? Okay, um, and we are in the middle of a series called Prepare Him Room. If you have not listened to the past two weeks, if this is the first time you've been here, I really encourage you to go back and listen to the messages that Steve and Karis talked about. They had really awesome titles like Push Out the Walls and Clear Out the Clutter, um, and it was so good, and I got nothing. I got no title for you this morning. So we're just going to do Prepare Him Room Part 3, but God still speaks when there's no titles, right? Um, So we're going to be in Luke 2 this morning. There's a Bible under your seat. We're going to be in Luke 2, and um, it's going to be awesome. I do have three A's for you later on, so I have some alliteration that you will want to write down. So I got that going for me. Um, Is everybody in Luke 2? Are we there? I'm not there, so. Okay, I don't know why I decided to bring my smallest Bible, but it's fine. Um, Okay, we're going to be starting in verse 25. Um, This part isn't in here, but I'm just going to pray, Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see wondrous things in your word. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. You can go ahead and underline waiting for, if you're like super awesome. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. I'm going to jump to verse 36, team in the back. And there also was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phineal of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84 She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. 
Oh, it's a lot of verses, okay? But this morning, I want to talk to you about Simeon and Anna. I want to talk to you about them because we've been looking um, at the Christmas story and trying to see these different characters and see what could we learn from them. How did they make room for God? How can we make room for God in our lives? And I think that um, for most of us, honestly, we might not even remember that Simeon and Anna were a part of this Christmas story. I don't know if you've ever ever seen a tiny Simeon or Anna dressed up in the nativity scene, but I haven't. So um, this can kind of be something that I think we breeze over a little bit, and this is a cute little Christmas story, and an old, a little old man and a little old lady and a sweet little baby, and we can miss um, maybe what God wants to say to us um, because we're not looking for what he wants to say. But I think there's this amazing story. And I love a good story. Is anyone else with me a good story? I feel like Sammy and I, we love good stories. Um, Andrew will frequently see me crying reading a book because I'm very vested in the characters. And I love a good story. And I think that it just translates so much to our own lives if we can step in to the story this morning. I think God wants to speak something to us. So with any good story, mini English lesson for you, there's a setting, right? There's a time and a place that it happens. And so where do we find ourselves in this story? We are in Jerusalem. Okay, so Jerusalem is the center of the Jewish people, of this nation and of their culture. This is um, the very heart of who they are is in Jerusalem because so much of what the Jews believe is centered around the belief that there is a God who created us for relationship with him. And we've sinned and we've been separated from God, but he wants to restore us back to that relationship with him. And so the Old Testament shows us this um, system of animal sacrifices, okay? And so in any story, there's foreshadowing. This system of animal sacrifices, offering a sacrifice to be reconciled back to God is a foreshadowing of God saying, I'm going to send someone to you who is the sacrifice, who is the one and only, who's the final one who could pay the price for all of your sins, for all of mankind, to bring you back to myself. And so that is, that is what the people um, of God are believing for and they're waiting for. And the Israelites, the Jewish people, were God's chosen people through whom he was going to send this Messiah. Okay? And so they have this rich history. All of the Old Testament is the stories of God, story after story, a history of God speaking to his people, bringing them out of slavery, pursuing them, them running away from God, God pursuing them, them running away from God. Does this sound familiar to anyone in your life? Maybe at one time. Okay, and so this is, the Old Testament is full of God speaking through prophets and judges and and speaking to his people. But the time that we're reading in Luke 2 is there has been 400 years of silence. There's been 400 years of no word from God at all. 
And this is sort of hard for us to wrap our brains around. Just to put it in perspective, our nation is only about 250 years old. We've only been a country for 250 years, almost double the amount of time we've been the United States of America. The people have been waiting and waiting, and they've heard nothing at all. And so I just can't help but imagine like what they must be thinking, what they must be feeling, what that waiting must have done to their hearts. Generation after generation is passing and there's still no Messiah and there's still no word. And I think that's what we need to understand about entering into this story. So we are in Jerusalem, the heart of this people, and we're in the temple. Jesus has been brought in the temple. So the temple is the center of their interaction with God. The temple, there's lots of books in the Bible that are chapters full of what the temple looks like. Um, You can go read those if you're into details. God is very specific. Um, But the temple is the centerpiece of where they would go to meet with God. The temple is the place that God was supposed to dwell and meet with his people, and they were supposed to meet with him. So this is the place where prayer and worship and animal sacrifices are being offered, okay? And so the temple, stay with me, is it's a loud place. It's very loud. There's people everywhere. There's priests doing religious sacrifices. There's all kinds of people buying and selling things. There are animals being sacrificed. That is crazy, okay? That is like something beyond our comprehension to walk into a place where animals are being sacrificed. The temple is a busy place. It's a chaotic place. There's a lot of coming and going. If you think church is crazy around here after when all the kids are running around, you wouldn't even know the temple, okay? This is, this is where we find ourselves. We're in Jerusalem, we're in the temple, and there's been 400 years of silence. And so the people are just in routine. And so we, we have our setting, we need our characters, We got to see like who's in the story. And I think that Jerusalem is a place, but it also represents the people of God. It's also a character in this story because um, the people of God are living with this tension of we are carrying a promise that God is going to show up and we're carrying 400 years of silence. We are carrying a history of God moving And we are carrying 400 years of God seemingly doing absolutely nothing. And so this tension is where the people of God are. And it's also where the individuals are, right? Because everyone's responding to this differently. Everyone has a different expectation, a different way of wrestling with this tension. And so that's the people in the temple. There's all kinds of people. There's merchants, there's priests, there's rich, there's poor, there's young, there's old parents, all kinds of people. We're all in this story. If you can imagine a person, they're at the temple. And so in all of their differences... Between them, they have this one thing in common. And this one thing is that they are waiting. They're a people who are waiting for the promised Messiah. 
And then we have Simeon. We meet Simeon, and he's this kind of old guy who spent a lot of time at the temple. And we know he's old because apparently God told him he's not going to die until he sees the Messiah. Okay, and so he is holding on to this crazy word that he has from the Lord that he's going to see the Messiah before he dies. And I'm just imagining, like, people have probably seen him around because he's there a lot, right? He's, he's been around. He's an older guy, maybe a little goofy because he's got this word from God. It's like, I can't die until I see the Messiah. And they're like, oh, still all there, Simeon, you know? So we've got Simeon. And then we've got Anna. Anna is an 84, at least an 84-year-old widow. And I think that she is, well, it says she is every day, day and night at the temple. She's worshiping, she's praying, and she's fasting. And I'm going to be honest, she was probably a little weird because what 84-year-old woman fasts? Okay, which is amazing, but also like, you know, she, she just, she might have had a tambourine that she carried around or a shofar in her pocket. And she was just like, she's just Anna, you know, like everybody kind of knew who she was and that was who she was. And so these are the people that we find in the story and the plot of the story actually starts in Genesis 1 from the very beginning. I mentioned it earlier, but God creates humanity for relationship with him. We sin, we're separated, and so he has made a way for relationship again by promising to restore us by a Messiah. So the Jews are waiting. They are waiting, and that's really what makes them Jews is, is they're waiting. And so here in Luke 2 is the climax of the story. Okay, this is so good. We've had 400 years of silence. We have a city and a people who are carrying the promise of God that there is a Messiah. We have a temple full of believers who are waiting for God to show up. And they don't all know it yet, but the Messiah has been born. Luke 1, he came. Emmanuel, God with us, is really with us in the flesh. And they haven't all seen it yet. But today is the day that God shows up at the temple. Today is the day. He's coming right in the middle of their midst. Right there. The culmination of an entire history. A, a culmination of every prayer. All the sacrifices that they've made week in and week out at the temple. All of their waiting right? And no one notices. No one notices except an old man named Simeon and a little old lady named Anna. And it kind of makes me wonder how many people walked right past Jesus that day. They just smiled from a distance. You see a baby all the time. I mean, our church is fruitful and we are multiplying like it's just a baby, you know, how, like, how did this happen, really? How did an entire nation whose whole existence was wrapped up and centered around preparing room for God miss it when he came? And why did Simeon and Anna, two really pretty 
seemingly insignificant people, just regular people, get to see him and recognize that God had done exactly what he said he was going to do. And I just, I, I think about that because I want to be like Simeon and Anna. I want to be that person that recognizes Jesus. And so this is where my awesome alliteration is going to come in. The first thing I think that um, what made them different, right? What can we learn from them is I think they were awake in a sleepy world. They were awake in a sleepy world. And have you ever noticed how easy it is to fall asleep in life? Like, it is so easy. There is so much that just lulls us and numbs us to sleep. Our routines, distractions, really just life itself kind of seems to lull us to sleep. Israel, the Jewish people, they were waiting, but I think they were also asleep. I think they were asleep. But verse 25 says, now there was a man in Jerusalem. There were a lot of men in Jerusalem. There were a lot of women in Jerusalem. But there was a man who was awake. He was awake. He was righteous and devout. There were a lot of good people. There were a lot of dedicated people. But Simeon wasn't just a good person. I think he was living a life fully awake. He was holding on to something. He was carrying expectation. Everyone was waiting, but Simeon was waiting. Like he was capital W-A-I-T-I-N-G. Yes, waiting. He was waiting. He was looking for. He was expecting. He was waiting for God. And I think that is so cool that Austin read that verse. We didn't even plan that. Um, but like this is what God's saying to us because I think there are two ways that we can wait and that we are waiting in our life. And there's a passive waiting and there is an active waiting. You can wait because you have given up hope that God is going to show up. Or do something. Or you can wait because you won't let go of hope. And you are convinced God's going to do what he says he's going to do. And I will be expectant for it. Simeon was waiting. He was a different kind of waiting. And I think that if we want to be awake like Simeon, we have to hold on to the word of God like Simeon did. He did. He had, it says that he had a word from God. According to your word. So he had this unique word from God, right? That he wouldn't die before seeing the Messiah. But he didn't have a unique word about what the Messiah would be like and what he was looking for. So Isaiah 9, 6, um, you can turn there if you want. I'm going to read it for us. But Isaiah 9, 6 was a very well-known prophecy about what the Messiah would be like. And it says, for to us a son, or for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince 
peace. And I think sometimes we miss God even when he does exactly what he says he would do because we're expecting him to do our version of that, right? And so everyone was waiting for a king, someone to overthrow the Romans, to be this powerhouse that would set people free militarily. They wanted the government to rest on his shoulders, like revolution. That is what the people were waiting for. But they forgot that what they were promised was a baby. To us, a child is born, and to us, a son is given. The Bible says he is wonderful counselor. But I think so often what we're looking for and expecting is someone to make everything happy and easy for us. Instead of looking for counsel to get us through the valleys that we are facing. Someone who is with me in the things that I am facing in this life. The Bible says he is a mighty God. But I think what we are looking for, if we're honest, is a genie in the bottle who's going to give me my three wishes to a perfect Instagram-worthy life with no pain. Instead of looking for a God who is breathing courage and strength into me in the battles that I am facing, who is strengthening us to take back what the enemy has stolen in his power and authority. The Bible says he is everlasting father. But I think what we're looking for sometimes is a temporary sugar daddy who's going to give me what I want when I want it, whenever I decide to go to him for what I want. Instead of a father who is loving, who is deliberately, patiently, slowly training me who is shaping me, who is even disciplining me for my good so I can be more like him. And the Bible says that he is a prince of peace. But I think what we're looking for and expecting to find is some earthly government institution that is going to make everything right. According to what I say is right, instead of the ultimate authority in heaven and on earth that I submit my whole life to and therefore being in his kingdom as his child is my peace. That is my source of security. Everyone else that day I really think went home disappointed that God didn't show up again, that God didn't do what he promised to do because their version of God didn't show up. But Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God because God's version of God did show up like he said he would do, like he always does. And I just wanna exhort us, let God tell you who he is and what he's like and you will see him more. And, and, this, and this is the point when I just have to be real and I just have to say, we got to read the Bible. We got to read the Bible, okay? Because there are a lot of people who are vlogging and blogging and all the other ings 
telling us and telling the world what God is like based on their own feelings and their own preferences and their own version of what they would want God to be like. And they are discounting the word of God and they are they're walking away from God because they're asleep to who he is. And that we can't be those people. We're not gonna be those people. Okay, we have to be a people who let God, through his word, he gave it to us, define himself for us. And we have to be a people who are committed to it. Okay, this isn't just sort of when I kind of have a freak out about something, I'll just like throw up a verse, which is sort of better than nothing. I mean, kind of. But that is not going to mean a single thing for your life. It's not going to mean a single thing for my life. When I'm not rooted, grounded, seeped in, dripping with, completely soaked and immersed in the word that he has given me. And I think that's how we're going to wake up. That's how we're going to actively expect God to show up in our lives and really see him and really see him. And I want that. And the second thing that Simeon and Anna, that I think made them different, is they were awake and they were aware in the mundane. They were aware in the mundane things. And there isn't much that's going to kill your expectation like the mundane right? There is nothing like the routine things of life that just make everything stale. The life, the, the guts of life, the fire in your life burns out so quickly in the mundane. It's just like another day at work, another load of laundry, another dinner, another church, you know, like just those things in life. And my best friend, I used to call this the cookie dough effect. It's like a blob of cookie dough, like bleh. Should probably be more like jello or something because cookie dough is delicious. But you get the idea, the same old, same old. It's just sucking expectation right out of me. And my anticipation isn't there anymore. And here's the thing about being lulled to sleep. Your eyes are closed, right? So you can't see what God is already doing. It's not that he's not doing anything. Maybe we just aren't aware. Maybe we aren't aware of it. And the Bible says that Anna saw Jesus and she started telling everyone else who had been waiting for him. She was the only one who was aware in this historic moment in history. And she starts trying to shake everyone else out of their mundane, out of their comings and goings. And she's trying to make them aware, God is here. He is here. And that is what I think God is trying to tell us this morning. He's here. I'm here. And how did she notice what no one else noticed? How was she aware of what no one else saw? And I think it's because she saw God all the time. So she could recognize him when he was there. She had been cultivating a life for 84 years of every day going to the temple, worshiping and praying to God. She was continually putting herself before God to see him and know him for who he is. And I think that in its simplest form, 
This is what worship and prayer does. This is what worship and prayer does. It increases our awareness of God. It increases our awareness of God. And a few years ago, we were in the market to buy a new car. So we decided to join the minivan clan, okay? So Chad Hockett hooked us up, shout out. And we got Tina, our silver Honda Odyssey. We love her. And it was the craziest thing because as soon as I started looking for a minivan, I started to notice all the other minivans in the city. You know what I'm talking about? It was like, they all didn't buy a minivan at the same time as me. Like I just became aware of the minivan population in this city. And that is what worship does. It creates this awareness in us. When we start looking at the face of God, then we see him and notice him where he is in our everyday life. Cause he's everywhere. And we start expecting that he's gonna show up. And so worship and prayer, when I say worship and prayer, worship isn't just on Sunday mornings with our awesome band, although they are awesome, and we can all attest to like something happens when we worship together, right? But worship is choosing to fix our eyes on who God says he is. And because of that, we'll offer him thanks, we will sing to him, we will dance, we will um, submit our lives to him. All these acts of worships that we offer to God, what it does is it actually changes me. It changes me. It changes my perspective from being so Heather-centric to being God-centered. For me to be able to see him. And, and when I say worship, like I said, corporate times are great. They are wonderful, and I desperately need them. There's something so great about being all together on Sundays. But I think this is like a personal ownership moment for us to cultivate our own encounters with God on a daily basis so that we see him for ourselves. Not because someone else told me to, but I begin to see God for myself. And it's a continuous life of worship that produces an awareness of God. And so I think if we're gonna be aware, we gotta worship him ourselves and we have to pray. So prayer in its simplest form is just talking to God and listening for him. That's the basis of prayer. It's talking, listening, just like you would with any other person. And prayer trains our hearts and our minds to remember who God is. That's what it does. And to see and recognize what he's doing in my life because I'm, I'm invested, right? And I think that just practically, if we don't know what to pray, the word, that's why the word of God is so awesome because we've, we've got a million things that we could pray into and it stirs up our expectation. You see, um, Simeon blessed God and he says that you are a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people. If you don't know what to pray, you're like, God, you are a light. Shine in the darkness. God, show up to people. Light their dark ways. Like, it's not hard. He just wants to talk with us. He just wants to partner with us because he's a good father. And that's what good fathers do. And prayer is also listening. 
It's also listening, and sometimes we're not that great about this, um, listening. This morning, actually, our kids, I thought this was perfect because I was asking our kids to ask God something. So Smith and Rose are sitting there, and Smith, like, doesn't even stop praying, and he goes, God said, blah, blah, blah. And Rose is like, no, it's not a hurry thing. And I was like, that is good. Like, <laughs> whoo, I need to tell myself that, girl. Like, it's not a hurry thing. Listening is not a hurry thing. And so we have to learn how to listen to God. And that just takes practice and time. Andrew's really growing at listening to me. But part of our, part of our personality differences is that he's the talker and I'm the listener. So I was trying to explain to him one time like what my personality needs. And so what I need is like someone who will patiently listen to me and who will let me finish because it takes me sometimes a while to get everything out that I want to say. So I am mid-sentence telling him, like, I just need you to really wait and listen. And he's like, hey, could you, like, hurry up and just, like, get to the point? I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? What is happening? Um, but... To be fair, we do this to God all the time. We are like talking, talking, talking. I'm going to share my heart. I'm going to ask for a million things. And then, okay, see ya. I'm going to go to work. And we're not listening. We're not cultivating just listening and waiting with expectation. Because maybe God is trying to tell you something maybe you don't want to hear, but that you need to hear. And that's good. So I think that Worship and prayer is the way that we're going to cultivate this awareness. And we can do these things like, oh, worship and prayer, that's what Christians do. Or we can do these things expecting, needing, and knowing, like, I live in a world that needs God to move. So I want to love him with my whole life. So I'm going to worship him in my living room. I need miracles. I need people to have miracles. So I will pray. And so I think that we can do them in routine or we can do them with expectation. So they were awake. They were aware. The third thing, this is super awesome. It was a day at a time, right? A day at a time. Get it? Okay. Um, so they were doing it a day at a time. They were doing it just every day. And Simeon wasn't the high priest. Anna was not more gifted than anyone else. They made the highlight reel of this Bible story, but they were no special human being that made them extra so that they could do this and we can't. They were not public figures. They didn't write a book. Like, there was nothing about them that was significant Probably no one even like cared that much about them. But God saw them. He knew these two, they're awake. They're aware. And they're going to see me. And I think that when we look at Anna's life, sometimes we can get a little overwhelmed or like paralyzed by everything that we could do in our Christian life, right? all the things we could do in our Christian life. But I love this is because it's just a day at a time. We're not going to get to 84 years in today. But I can do today today. I can choose today. I can choose to be awake 
today. I can choose to be aware today. I can do today. And I think that we have to get to that simplicity of today, and that will build a life of faithfulness. That will build a life of seeing God in our everyday lives. A continual yes to God keeps us awake and aware. It's not just one and done, right? But it's every day, today. This is what I'm going to do. And that's really encouraging to me because I can do today. I can, I can do today. And so I think that um, if we'll be the insignificant ones who just keep showing up day in and day out, expecting that God is here, he is good, and he is speaking to us just like we pray every week, right? Right? then we'll see him do amazing things. And Simeon prays, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. God is showing up to everyone. He is showing up in my life and in your life. He is. And you're allowed and you're able to be the one who sees him. And that's what we want to be. So the band, you can come on up. Our prayer team, um, we're going to have them on the sides because we love to be a church that responds to what God is saying. We want to be ones that don't just hear it, but we really receive it. And what does that mean for our life? So you can go ahead and stand up, and our prayer teams are going to be at the front, and Andrew's going to come up and, and close us out. And I just want to pray for us that we can receive what God is saying and, and He's gonna lead us in a response. So God, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've been doing this morning. Thank you that you are here. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that you wanna wake us up to see you and to know you because you are a wonderful counselor. You are a mighty God. You are our everlasting Father and you are the Prince of Peace. Amen. We want to thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can check us out on social media at Antioch Indy or go to our website www.antiochindy.com.